Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we're continuing to highlight the categories from Winnipeg's Vital Signs, and today we're focusing on community pride. Our first interview is about how one community has stepped up offering a safe and warm haven to underserved youth during these cold and brutal months. Jamil Mahmoud, Executive Director of the Spence Neighborhood Association, will join us in studio to talk about it. Then we'll speak with Alexa Joy Potashnik, founder and president of Black Space Winnipeg, to learn more about the first annual Afro Prairie Film Festival that's happening this weekend at We'll also learn about a sponge hockey tournament taking place this Saturday in support of the Heart and Stroke Foundation. We're going to learn all about the annual Between the Pipes event from its founder, Sarah Tone. And finally, we'll hear from Elizabeth Shearer from the Green Action Centre about their most recent event, the Jack Frost Challenge, and how it got hundreds of Winnipeggers walking, running, and skating to work last week. We've got all these stories, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. to RC360, NB360, and RZ360 coming at you. How are you today, Robert? Not too bad, Nolan. Uh, how are you doing today? I am surviving and thriving. It's been a good week. Short week, actually, I guess, hey? Yeah. It's already Thursday, and we've only been here for a couple days. Weird yeah. having those Mondays off. You kind of feel like it's an extra Sunday, and then Tuesday feels like Monday, and then your whole week is just thrown off. And the weather has kind of uh, been following that same pattern mm-hmm. it looks kind of like spring outside but it still feels like winter what is going on in the world i don't know who knows you know feeling like winter is a big part of our first story because uh it hasn't just felt like winter but it's been pretty exceptionally brutal uh about three weeks ago on february 1st the winnipeg foundation and the city of, of winnipeg stepped up on short notice to help fix a problem that the community basically said hey we need help fixing this um Obviously, most people are are aware of how extremely cold the winter has been, but for people who don't have shelter in these times, it can be honestly potentially deadly. So the Spence Neighborhood Association is one of the groups that stepped up and requested that the city step up. Uh, Along with the West Central Women's Resource Center and the Rainbow Resource Center, uh, Spence, the SNA, Spence Neighborhood Association, joined in uh, sort of this short-term strategy to help those that are in dire need of overnight shelter during our coldest nights. Uh, Our first guest today is going to tell us all about this, this short-term solution that, that uh, the city and the Winnipeg foundation and these organizations have come up with. Uh, His name is Jamil Mahmoud. He's been on the show before. He's on his way into the studio to tell us all about it. But before we get to him, uh, what song should we play to kick things off first? We're going to start things off with Ella Fitzgerald and the very thought of you right here on River City 360. The very thought of you And I forget to do The little ordinary things That everyone ought to do Though it may seem to me that's everything The mere idea of you The longing here for you You never know how slow the moments go Till I'm near to you 
just the thought of you, the very thought of you, my Just the thought of you, the very thought of you, my love. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today. We're now joined in studio by Jamil Mahmoud. He's the executive director at the Spence Neighborhood Association. Jamil, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Friend of the show. You've been here before, I guess. So thanks for coming back. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, kind of a interesting and necessary uh, announcement that was made on actually February 1st about a sort of extreme cold weather plan that was put in place. So maybe if you could just give us a little bit of context, how did this come to be and what what was the plan that was put in place to sort of uh, help the underserved uh, at Spence neighborhood? Yeah, so um, there was a meeting uh, beginning of January, I think January 8th or 9th with uh, I think it was about 50 groups that to talk about the extreme cold weather we've been having and kind of to take a more proactive approach to the response uh, on the street to make sure no one's getting left out in the cold. Um, uh, I unfortunately wasn't at that meeting, but we had staff there. And uh, from that, there was uh, a lot of talk of what who had capacity to expand what they were doing to be able to meet the need and provide overnight safe spaces uh, for everyone. So uh, after that meeting, there was a couple of follow-up meetings, uh, and then we developed a kind of a plan to say, you know, we have our 24-hour overnight safe space that runs on Friday, Saturday, and school holidays. So uh, we had just expanded. We run seven days a week over the winter break, so whenever school's not in, we're running seven days a week. So we just kind of finished that at the beginning of January, and so we have... uh, we had the option to present that we could open seven nights a week all the time, which has been our goal for a long time, but uh, we have never got the funding to fully do it. So uh, we presented that option, and I know the Women's Center and Rainbow Resource Center also presented the option to open a, a kind of temporary one uh, overnight space for women in LGBTQ2S community. So it's kind of a quick solution to this problem of the extreme cold weather. Um, obviously, the West End 24 Safe Space for Youth is what uh, the Spence Neighborhood Association runs. And then in conjunction with the West Central Women's Center and the Rainbow Resource Center, you guys have been able to really uh, help solve this problem, at least in the short term. Um, how much of a difference has it been making being open seven days a week and having people able to come in at nights when it gets the coldest here in Winnipeg? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge difference. Like, I want to be clear that this this problem exists like all the time. 365 days a year, not just during the cold weather. Uh, so, uh, but for us, like since February 1st, since the announcement, we opened that night again, and then we've been open every day since. So, 
uh, it's been huge. We're seeing, uh, you know, 17 to 20 kids a night. Um, and we're actually seeing kids we didn't normally see. So we kind of seem to have tapped into a new uh, new area of, of kind of youth that we weren't seeing. Um, and so it's an interesting, like, having been open, you know, uh, weekends and school holidays, the, we're seeing different kids, but some of the same kids. But uh, we're doing more outreach now, which we hadn't been able to do before because of staffing level. So having the, the funding to do a little more outreach has allowed us to go to places where uh, more often than we had before to be able to connect with kids out on the street and bring them back. And then also services like Salvation Army and Main Street Project, we're working with them. So if they're encountering youth, they're bringing them to our space. So we've had a few of those great partnerships develop that we didn't quite have before. And that's allowed us to, to see kids we wouldn't normally see or kids that are, are different areas of the city that might get brought to us. It's all about capacity, really, right? How So how does the capacity to be able to help more kids like, how does that work? Are you still hoping to gain more capacity? And, and talk a little bit about your ability to, you know, are you maxed out right now? How are things kind of going on that on that aspect of things? Yeah, well, I mean, capacity is tough. I mean, first of all, just working overnights is a challenge in itself. Like, you know, staff have to change their schedules. And so, like, up until now, like, we got funding to hire three new staff. Uh, and so in the interim, before we were able to get those staff hired, all SNA staff have been stepping up and filling in shifts and working, you know, to support the program. So it's been a little bit of a challenge. We've been able to do it. Um, I've had to go in some nights. Some of other staff have gone in more than they normally would to help out. So we've kind of stepped up that way. Now that we have two staff hired and we're hoping to have a third this week, uh, it'll be a lot easier with that. But I mean, the capacity, having four outreach workers on a night is a challenge and then doing more outreach and, and targeted work is is a challenge, right? Like it's, it's cold. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's dark. There's, you know, a lot of, you know, there's action on the street. And so it's a safety things we have to be prepared for. And so, uh, it's not just like, uh, is just like having bodies there it's about having people that can do the work can right. do the skilled outreach can do the crisis response can be there to, to provide support and positive relationships to those youth when they need it so it's a little bit of a you need a, a certain level of capacity and skill set within the individuals working right. as well so we've developed that in our agency and so we're able to provide staff who are running other programs to that but uh, yeah definitely capacity building is a big part of it and as proper staffing levels is always a challenge always yeah um what um this is obviously a short-term plan, and like you said, it's a 365-degree problem. I know we're not going to solve all the problems in the world in this discussion, but what's something that you think can be done or should be done that can alleviate some of these stressors on on the on your systems? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of kind of broad solutions that can be put in place. Like we see this like overnight safe space is almost a band-aid response, right? Like it's necessary. It's a band-aid we need, and it's very. Uh, thinly supported band-aid at that at this point, right? So I think, you know, first of all, getting these kind of uh, shelters and response systems established in there to, to the level they need to be at is, is one. But then there's also uh, kind of system plans in place. So we have the Winnipeg Plan to End Youth Homelessness that was launched a year ago. Uh, we finally have funding and staffing. We, we were up to staff for that program. And so that's kind of the plan that sets out, here's how we can solve youth homelessness in the long term. Mm -hmm. And here's what we have to do. So it's looking at so stuff like what can be done to prevent where systems can be improved to address this. A lot of the kids we're seeing are kids that have aged out of care or out of justice system. And so really addressing those system failures, those points where where the system CFS ends before EIA begins, you know, those kind of mm -hmm. gaps in the system and making those transitions smoother. So uh, we have a plan for, for Winnipeg, and I think it's a really strong plan. It's been developed by the community. And so our hope is that investment in, in kind of a broad-based strategy like that supports the work we're doing in the West End 24-hour safe space, but also allows for 
new innovations and transitional housing, those important things, because uh, we know that the kids we're seeing, we're not, we don't have the capacity right now to move them into supportive housing right away. Uh, we can work with partners who are doing that. We work with Ray, we work with Mumway, we work with groups that are doing those kind of youth transitional housing, but uh, they don't have enough spaces for all the kids that are out there. So it needs to be a, a well-planned out system. We're glad we have the plan in place, but the plan hasn't got a, a strong investment yet at this point. So I think there's kind of a need for multiple things, like invest in the, the front lines emergency level. That's a good investment, but don't do that without investing in, in the broader longer-term prevention yeah. strategies. This kind of treats the symptom and not necessarily the root cause of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it sets it up so we're able to build relationships with these youth. We're able to build, give them the resources that exist. And one of the things we do is we build on what's out there. So we're not creating new things. I mean, the overnight safe space is a new thing, but the resources we use once we youth get in the door, we're plugging them into those resources that exist. So it's not about reinventing the wheel fully. It's just, you know, maybe pumping up those tires a bit in those wheels to, to make them run a little smoother. But yeah, like we really need to have a, a, a broad strategy. The strategy is there. It's well-researched, it's well-documented. It just needs to be funded and supported in the way that a, a full strategy does. What's what's something that the average person can do? Is it just as simple as financial support that, that is all that's missing? Or can, could you need more boots on the ground? What do you think the average person who just knows that this is an issue and wants to help but doesn't maybe know how to get started, what can they do? Yeah, I mean, financial support is always number one. I mean, our biggest challenge is staffing. I mean, it's pretty it, – Winnipeg's a very generous city, so getting donations of socks and things that are essential warm weather gear. Like, we do put call-outs for those from time to time, but those are – Winnipeg's always been great at that stuff. Uh, really, it's the funding for, for staff to be able to work. You know, the more staff we have working, the more we can have an impact. So that's always and a specialized training too, right? Because it's not just about putting bodies in the buildings. You have to actually – people have – It's you know, you're a psychologist sometimes you're a counselor, you're a grief count, you know, you're all of these things and it's not easy to find volunteers that are that skilled. Yeah, it's also tricky like we have to make sure it's safe for volunteers to go in those roles, we have to make sure it's safe for the youth to have, you know, like uh, these are youth that have had a lot of people let them down in their lives and, and have a lot of people kind of fail them. And so we need to make sure that if we have volunteers in the space, they're trained really well and they're able to commit longer term. And, uh, and you know, overnights is a tough the gig, right? Like it's not easy. Uh, so uh, we encourage people to make donations as, as a, the the best way if people want to volunteer there's also options to you know we serve meals twice a night so if people want to prepare a meal and send it over or work with our outreach crew to get meals out on the street we can also do stuff like that there's lots of options and if they go to our website uh we, we're just putting out a new call out for supplies we need for the safe space so people can go there but yeah i mean the bottom line is this stuff doesn't run without good people working good well-trained people and that doesn't uh that's not cheap right definitely um what's one thing that you've learned over your entire career that you didn't expect to come across when when working in in this area oh that's a good <laughs> question uh i think uh the number one thing uh is that the winnipeggers are resilient uh winnipeggers who are living in in poverty or, or who are suffering from the trauma of residential schools and colonial systems are super resilient and they know what they need to to move forward and so i think we always try as an organization, like we create a five-year plan that guides our agency that's led by residents of our community. And uh, I think listening to people and letting them guide the program, all our programs are led by our community members and, and the need. You know, the West End 24-hour safe space was led by residents. It was created by the community. It was, you know, youth were the ones that shaped what it looks like and how it runs. And so I think uh, the, the biggest thing is that we always need to be listening uh, and taking what people are saying and 
and and implementing those changes and those programs to make uh, make real long lasting change happen. And how do you feel when when uh, when this? Because you said it started in January, put in place in February, and we're already you know the system kind of got relatively quickly moving. How do how do you feel when the city can come together with the Winnipeg Foundation and with your organizations to kind of solve a problem in such an immediate fashion? Normally, I feel like that doesn't necessarily happen in such a quick way. How how do you make that? How does that make you feel when you see that see change happening so rapidly? Yeah, it's awesome. Like the response, like Winnipeg Foundation to be able to mobilize that, like be able to, you know, I think it was within a, within a week or two of the request, be able to turn around funds to, to be the first one to put money on the table was awesome. And, and that's that's what we need, right? You know, we need groups that have that ability to step up and do that. And I think that really is what kind of moved the the city and the province to act, seeing there was uh, there was money put on the table directly there. So that that's awesome. And, and we really appreciate when we can respond in a crisis situation uh, and have supporters like the Wind Foundation in the city, you know, step up and do that. So, I mean, that's really important. Um, and we know Wind Foundation has supported longer term work as well. And, and you know, ideally, we, we like to see these things uh, funded in advance before it's a crisis, right? Yeah. So um, we're hoping for next year that we can have a similar response, you know, in planned in October. Yeah. yeah, before the snow hits and before the weather drops to be uh, on top of that. So, Sure. Uh, yeah, but it's really appreciated, and and it it really shows uh, the type of city we live in to be able to respond that quickly. So, if anyone out there is listening, wants to support the West End Twenty Four Safe Space for Youth or Spence Neighborhood Association, how can they find you, and how can they find more information? Yeah, uh, our Spence Neighborhood Association is a website uh, org. And from there, there's a page to donate. You can specify if you want to go to which program. West End 24 has a you know a little link through Canada Helps, so people can do that. Um, they can come to any of our offices, make cash donations. We are a charitable organization, so we can provide tax receipts, all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, so we're there. And uh, if anyone wants to find out more information, go on our website and contact us. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, Jim Mahmoud is the executive director at Spence Neighborhood Association with West End 24. Thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Nolan. And as Jamil mentioned, for more information about this or any of the other programs at Spence Neighborhood Association, you can visit their website at spenceneighborhood.org. Coming up after the break, we'll have my conversation with Alexa Joy Potashnik. She's the founder and president of Black Space Winnipeg, and we'll be talking about the first annual Afro Prairie Film Festival that's happening this weekend at Cinematheque. So there's a great lineup of films. She'll tell us all about that. But before we get to that, here is To the Movies We Go with Steve Lawrence and Idy Gorham right here on River City 360. To live the life of Robin Hood To dream the dream Cinderella could To share the magic of Hollywood To the movies we go To know the spell of Brando's glance To see how Liz puts a guy in trance To learn the facts of life in France To the movies we go And it's heavenly When you let me hold your hand While we play the scene on the screen in the balcony When you played the rancher's daughter Of course And you played a cowboy in 
his horse And even now, what do you think? Our dirty dishes are in the sink Our TV set is on the blink And we wanna see a show So it's off to the movies we go of life in France to the movies we go and it's heavenly when I let you hold my hand while we play the scene on the screen in the balcony and to think that we And I played a cowboy in love with his horse And even now, what do you think? Our dirty dishes are in the sink Our TV set is on the blink And we wanna see a show So it's up to the movies Up to the movies It's up to the movies We go Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Alexa Joy Potashnik. She is the founder and president of Black Space Winnipeg. Alexa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about Black Space Winnipeg and the mission of the organization. Sure. So uh, Black Space Winnipeg started around two years ago. Um, our first major like breakthrough event was hosting a Black Lives Matter vigil was the first Vigil and rally uh, dedicated and in respect to Black Lives Matter that has happened in Winnipeg, and I think the only one to this date um, at a very public scale. And on the on the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, I think there was a lot of people who were in Winnipeg and Black folks who were just waiting for something that was really dedicated to the advocacy of Black folks in the city and um, providing a platform for. Uh, black folks from all different sectors and um, basically we advocate for our community because we see uh, discrimination, oppression, anti-black racism um, and the unique ways they manifest in the prairie. What types of events does Black Space Winnipeg hold throughout the year typically? We respond to anything that directly affects um, our collective or um, that uh, we want to branch out on. So, for example, uh, a part of Nuit Blanche, we hosted Nuit Noir, which was an Afrocentric artist showcase, basically challenging the whiteness uh, and the non-diverse culture that uh, kind of has has been um, in Nuit, the Nuit Blanche Festival since the beginning. And we started that two years ago. People were very receptive to it, and 
other than public rallies and demonstrations and workshops on challenging oppression and now with the festival, I think we respond and we create events that are driven by our narrative and um, that can be anywhere from something that's cultural to political to advocacy to uh, education and awareness and just exploring blackness and uh, pro-black practice, I think, to see uh, a prairie and a Canadian context. That's great. And tying into that is uh, in partnership with Cinematech, the first annual Afro Prairie Film Festival that's happening this weekend from February 23rd to 25th. Can you tell us a little bit about the festival and how it got started? Absolutely. So last year, uh, we hosted the first event with Cinematech and debuted the film on that Negro. And it was the first screening in Winnipeg. And it sold out back to back two shows. We had a panel discussion afterwards, and that was like from the inception. That was the beginning of our partnership. And since then, we've had about five screenings with Cinematech. And then uh, we sat down and we just kind of thought, well, why don't we just have a panel? And as a panel, uh, following these panels, a, a festival because there's no, there was nothing. Uh, film festival really dedicated to exploring black narratives um, in Central Canada, so throughout the prairie. Uh, and we're very happy to make history and be the first. And uh, we hope that this will open doors for for generations and for other communities across the prairies. And other than it being a platform for established filmmakers, black filmmakers across the country, we also have Black Shorts Award um, for emerging black filmmakers. So this is a great place to explore if you're uh, new to the filmmaking industry, um, and you're exploring films of, of, of blackness and black narratives and the black experience and you're putting that on film, like, we really, really want this to be an avenue where filmmakers get um, their, their foot in the door and recognition um, and just support. That's great. And it's so important that there is that outlet and also that um, there are opportunities to keep the dialogue going after after seeing a particular film that people can um, can have those conversations. What are a few of the films that'll be screening this weekend? Friday night, our opening night is a film called Louis Lavois, uh, Open the Voice, by Amandine Gay, who is a black French uh, feminist filmmaker. Um, and this is the first time black space has done French uh, programming, so we're really excited about it. Um, and that's opening at 7 um, in Platform Gallery, so right across the hall. We have our opening reception starting at 9.30 with Marisol Magash. Uh, the next, the following day on Saturday, February 24th, is the Emerging Black Filmmaker Canadian Shorts. So that's where we will award uh, the best shorts um, with the Winston Moxham Award. And Winston Moxham was uh, a black filmmaker in Winnipeg who was very established and kind of paved the way um, in many ways in filmmaking in, in Winnipeg. And he's a very respected filmmaker. Um, after that, we have uh, a panel discussion on black filmmakers at 5 p.m. in Cinematech. Uh, 7 p.m. is Unannounced Verses, which is a National Film Board of Canada a documentary by uh, Charles Officer. And we are bringing in one of the um, subjects from the documentary and the cinematographer um, for a Q&A after the film, which we're really excited about. And then at 9 p.m. is Black Cop. Uh, directed by Corey Bowles, and that's getting a lot of uh, attention across the country. Uh, and we're also Skyping him uh, doing a Q&A after the film, and Amandine will also do a Q&A 
on Skype after um, her film on Friday. And then Sunday, uh, we have a master class with Charles Burnett. And Charles Burnett is, um, I believe, just won an honorary Oscar. He's an African-American director. Um, and his most popular film, one of his most popular films that we're screening on Sunday night at 5 p.m. to sleep with anger. Charles Burnett, he has a very established career and so much experience, especially as a black filmmaker in the States, and uh, we're very, very lucky to have him. So his master class is at 2 p.m. in the Rachel Brown Theater, and then we're showing Pariah, we're seeing Pariah on Sunday in Cinematech at 4 p.m., and that explores uh, black uh, and queer narratives, which is, a, I think, a coming-of-age story and a black queer woman um, as a protagonist, which is a really powerful film. And then at 7 p.m., we're screening uh, To Sleep With Anger by Charles Burnett and having a Q&A with him after, which is great to actually be there. We can interact with the audience. And then that pretty much wraps up uh, the festival. It's three days of films and panel discussions and workshops and master classes and reception and we're just so looking forward to the the feedback that's going to happen and, and all the support we're getting from the community very cool if uh, if any of our listeners would like to get more information about the festival or to purchase tickets or or even purchase a festival pass and check out everything what's the best way for them to do so they can go to uh cinematech winnipegcinematech.com slash film festival cinematech is, is selling all the tickets um, there's also a Facebook page with all of the um, different screenings and events, and it's at uh, the 2018 Afro Prairie Film Festival. Um, so that's easily accessible through Facebook. And if you follow us on Blackspace, WPG on Twitter um, and Instagram, you can find everything as well. And the festival pass is, six, is uh, $50, and individual tickets to the screenings and the workshops are $10. Spread the word, and we really, really want this to be an event uh, for the community. So the more people that come out, the better. That's fantastic. And the website for Black Space Winnipeg is blackspacewpg.ca? Yes, it is. Excellent. Alexa, thank you so much again for joining me today and telling me all about the Afro Prairie Film Festival. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we're going to be joined via telephone by Sarah Tone. She is the founder of Between the Pipes, which is a fundraising sponge hockey tournament for Heart and Stroke. We're going to learn about the origin of the tournament, why she chose sponge hockey, and what can be expected at this year's event. But before we get to Sarah Tone, Louis Armstrong with When You're Smiling, right here on RC360. Oh, when you're smiling When you're smiling The whole Smiles with you, baby, baby Yes, when you're laughing when you laughing Yes, the sun Comes shining through But when 
crying on the rain So stop your sighing baby And be happy again Yes and keep on smiling Keep on smiling baby And I hope Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we're now joined via telephone by Sarah Tone. She's the founder of the Between the Pipes event, taking place this Saturday, February 24th, at Norwin Community Centre. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So this is the, uh, it's the fifth year, but I understand it's the fourth annual event of Between the Pipes. Tell, tell us a little bit about what the event is, where the idea come from, and uh, what we can expect. Yeah, absolutely. So the event, it's a one-day sponge hockey tournament, and it's a fundraiser. It's in support of the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Uh, It's this Saturday, February 24th, and it's at the Norwood Community Centre. Folks can come by if they want to just donate. Obviously, we've we've sort of taken our teams and we're making our schedules uh, this week in preparation for the event. So we aren't taking any more teams or volunteers, but we certainly can accept donations. And they could be made in person or they can be made online as well on our website. We have about 13 teams this year, which is super exciting. And we really just want to get sort of a young adult base um, excited about being active and participating in a fun tournament. It's a recreational tournament. It's just for charity. Um, it's a good time. And we're just hoping to raise awareness about sort of various 
various forms of heart disease. Um, it's Heart Month for the Heart and Stroke Foundation, so they do a lot of extra promotion about heart disease and the symptoms, usually around stroke, but I mean there's lots of different um, ways that heart disease can impact folks' lives, even if you're a survivor, um, or maybe you have someone in your family who's been affected by it, like me. So it's For just sure. important to sort of promote healthy, active lifestyles, and we're doing that all day. Absolutely. So you kicked this off five years ago. It started as a project in college. Did you have did you have any idea that you'd be doing this five years later and continuing to sort of raise money for Heart and Stroke Foundation? Absolutely not. No, I definitely thought in the beginning that it was going to be a one-time thing, and it was a bigger event when we started. We had the tournament and we had a social afterwards, so it was almost like two events in the same day, um, and we learned a little bit from that, so we've changed the style of the event a little bit more to focus just on a little bit more on the tournament and make sort of a stronger um, event that way, which has been really great. So it's certainly evolved, and we've learned some great lessons in terms of team recruitment and just in terms of fundraising um, as a whole so that we can make sure that we, we uh, that it's worth it and that we get people out uh, donating to the Heart and Stroke Foundation for this for this special day. For sure. So why sponge hockey? That's such a unique sport. Right. And it's a Manitoba thing, right? It's a cool thing um, that Manitobans like and are involved in, and there's tons of leagues. Um, and it's something that's a little bit more accessible to folks, too, um, in terms of something to do in February where you can raise funds. Um, it's also uh, no skates required, which is nice. So you don't mm-hmm. have to have too much skill to play, which is convenient. So it's opened up uh, some doors for some people who maybe want to support the event but don't necessarily know how to play. Well, not requiring that much skill is good news because here at the Winnipeg Foundation, we're putting a team in this year. We're going to take the championship, hopefully. So no skill is a good sign because I don't know how uh, how solid I'll be out there sliding around on my shoes, but it should be fun. What has been the response of people, like just people who show up and play and have a good time throughout the day? What what do people tell you after at the end of the day? We have, well, we've done a survey after every event, and the one thing consistently has just been, yes, we'll come back next year. This was so fun. We just want to participate. Thanks for hosting this. Um, another thing that's been really great is thanks to just some community promotion and having the event um, on Facebook, we've reached some people who don't necessarily know me or know my story but are excited to just play. And they've been involved um, for the last two years. There's a few teams who have been some repeat teams who are coming back this year for a third year, which is really great um, because they've sort of formed a connection just with the people who play. They like the environment and they want to support the Heart and Stroke Foundation ultimately, which is really important. For sure. Well, let's talk about your story a little bit. I under, I Tell me if this is right, but arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia? Yeah, it's quite the mouthful. It's ARVD, so it's a heart muscle disease um, that my dad had um, that we didn't know he had until he passed away. So he passed away in 2006. He was only 44. Right. Um, Extremely healthy, extremely fit, um, took very good care of himself, um, but heart disease still managed to find his way to him and um, just really took him down in a very sudden and quick way. So it was something that we didn't expect. Then the more um, research that we were able to do sort of into the disease once that was determined what he passed from, Mm -hmm. um, we found that it's quite common um, and is the leading cause of sudden cardiac death among young athletes, specifically males. So he wasn't necessarily a teenager, but he was still quite young and quite healthy. So um, 
it uh, he had <clears throat> he had a genetic predisposition to the to the disease as well, and thankfully myself and my brother and his siblings um, have been tested and do not have the um, have the same disposition. Mm. So we're very wow. fortunate in that way. But but it was a tough way to learn no <laughs> that kidding, that, that that yeah. was something of, that was in, in, for our family. Well, you've turned obviously a terrible tragedy into something positive. How, how does it make you feel knowing you've raised, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, tons of, of uh, awareness and, and giving people a, an, a, an amazing experience one day in February every year? How, how do you feel when, when knowing that his legacy is living on in that way? It's pretty humbling. Um, my dad was uh, very introverted, but very extroverted among his close friends and family. Mm. And I just know that the passion that I have for this event is something that I learned directly from him and I, mm-hmm. that I that I carry through um, because of his personality and because of how caring and how giving and everything that he was. So it's important to me, but it's also important, I think, for other people who maybe can't speak up or folks like my dad who've passed on and just wish that maybe someone would have told them or wish that there was a little bit more awareness for folks that are living, you know, healthy, active lifestyles that things things can happen anytime. Yeah. So it's important to, to take some consideration, take some care into that. So it makes me feel pretty amazing, especially when, like I said, um, there's some teams who don't even know my story but who are excited to learn about it and participate in the event uh, year after year and uh, and share with their friends and help us uh, Definitely. help us raise some money. Yeah, I was there the inaugural year. We'll be there again this year. What can people expect on Saturday, February 24th this year? What, what, what are we expecting for, for the event? So we have we have 13 teams registered, and we've got a great team of volunteers. Um, we've got some brand new volunteers this year, which is also exciting. Some people who just heard about the event, um, and we're going all day. I think we're starting right at nine. We'll probably end around five five thirty. So we've got a recreation um, division and a competitive division. Cool. Uh, So there's a little bit of something for everybody. We've got um, Virgin 103 will be on site playing music all day. We've got lunch uh, provided for everyone, which is so great. We have some amazing community partners who've helped us really get this event to the level that it's at. And we we have free gift bags for everyone that comes by. And uh, we have some giveaways for folks who come by to make a donation um, on event day as well. Perfect. And it's supposed to be a beautiful day. I'm excited. Uh, for anyone else who wants to support the cause, where can they find more information? Easiest way is to go to our website. It's betweenteapipes.wordpress.com, or you can find us on Twitter at betweenteapipes. Betweenteapipes.wordpress.com. To check out Between the Pipes, that's happening this Saturday, February 24th at the Norwood Community Centre. Come on down, cheer us on, cheer on. I think our team name is Spongeworthy, uh, so we're going to hopefully take the championship. Sarah, thank you very much for setting up this event for the last few years uh, and for talking to us today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up next, our very own Sonny Primolo is on his way into the studio for our next story, and he'll be speaking with Elizabeth Shearer from the Green Action Centre about the Jack Frost Challenge. It's a challenge where Winnipeggers were encouraged to walk, run, or even skate to work to reduce their carbon footprints over the past week. So we'll learn more about that, but before we get to that, here's Be Sure by the Tradewinds 5, Inc., right here on River City 360. When love knocks on your door, just be sure.
today is Elizabeth Shearer, Commuter Challenge Coordinator from Green Action Center, here to talk about the Jack Frost Challenge, a real cool initiative that got people all over Winnipeg finding more sustainable ways to get to work last week. Hi Elizabeth, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for inviting me. With all the programs out there for environmental sustainability, it can be confusing as to who does what. Uh, For those unfamiliar with Green Action Center, please tell our listeners what Green Action Center is all about. Well, Green Action Centre is your green living hub for Manitobans. We specialize in sustainable living, waste reduction, active transportation. Um, so sustainability from your all the way from your house, school, for your children or university, and uh, all the way to your workplace. So we have initiatives and programming that can reflect sustainability in your everyday life. One of the great events run by Green Action Centre is the Jack Frost Challenge, which is a week-long event that focuses on more sustainable ways of commuting, which happened last week from the 11th to the 17th of February. There were multiple prizes to be won from a $100 Thermia gift card, tons of cool winter gear, passes to the Children's Museum, and more. What was the motive behind the Jack Frost Challenge? Well, this was its seventh year. So the first year actually stemmed from an event called Active Epica, where this community of people actually travel 130 kilometers outdoors in one day. And people, if you can believe it, were inspired by that. And were inspired to to go outside even more. And so we extended this challenge to the wider community to see if you can do that same type of challenge throughout the course of a week and with a team of friends. And we continue to bring Jack Frost Challenge to our members and um, and our wider community because it promotes getting outdoors, uh, enjoying connecting with nature, um, finding more sustainable ways to commute and be outdoors. But as we also have this summer event called Commuter Challenge, which is we have over 8,000 people participating every year, hundreds of workplaces. Wow. So this is a bit of a smaller event for us at Green Action Center, but it's a really fun way to engage and keep the conversation about enjoying nature and being active outdoors alive during the winter months when it can be harder to get outdoors and connect with friends. Absolutely. How many people were registered to participate this year? The results will be posted this week, but right now we have over 100 teams registered and hundreds of people participating. Last year, we saw just under 400 people participate, and they clocked 16,000 kilometers. Wow. What were the different ways uh, people were able to win prizes? You go to our website, greenactioncenter.ca, and they can actually log their kilometers. So they log in, they make a profile, they invite their teams to join, they invite their friends to join their team. And so they can win by just logging kilometers and we have random prize draws. We also have specific prizes for people who clock the most kilometers. Mm. We have a family that's participated now for the third year in a row. And I think they've won every year that they've participated because they're 
father participates in that act of epica where he travels alone oh, wow. 130 kilometers in one day but then the entire family challenges themselves to walk and bike and skate the entire week so they do have an edge on the competition um, they're a really fun family and it's it, it's been fun to get to know them but um, people also are just making workplace teams and they're getting out and having walking meetings and enjoying times with their colleagues that way I hear you can even win prizes for the best team name. From your knowledge, what was the best team name? Or if you can't tell me, uh, what were some of the names of the groups that stood out to you? My One of my personal favorites has been Holy Wakamoli, uh, like River City Rebels. It seems like there's a lot of teams that just take inside jokes. Like you can tell it's really funny to someone. Um, so I can appreciate that as well. There's also something called the Go Manitoba app, and it had something to deal with the actual Jack Frost challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it used for, and can people use it all year round? So we reminded our Jack Frost challenge participants that they could also par- participate by using the Go Manitoba app. So it's a new ride sharing and ride matching program. Mm. So it's predominantly used for carpool matches. People can register their driving route and invite someone to share the ride with them. So the app really tries to get less people driving alone in their cars. Mm. Um, transportation is a huge polluter and it's and any step you can take to make your transportation more sustainable, all the better. It's also used to make walking, biking, and bus partners as well. So you can find a buddy and link up on all of these different ways to get to work that you might not have ever navigated before. Is it available on all mobile app stores like Apple and Google? Yeah, it's available on all smartphone platforms. And it's also, there's a version on the desktop. So you don't actually need a smartphone to um, utilize the program. The Jack Frost Challenge is a fun way to work together with your families, friends, and coworkers in an environmentally friendly way. When can people look forward to the next Commuter Challenge? Well, the next Commuter Challenge is actually this summer, June 3rd to 9th, 2018. And that's our big summer uh, event where we have thousands of people participating and the prizes are even more exciting. We have Mm. hotel stays, passes to festivals, um, just thousands of dollars in prizes. And we engage in um, we engage workplaces all over the city and province in that challenge as well. I hear that Green Action Center and downtown Winnipeg Biz has an upcoming wellness and health event coming up next month on the 27th. That's called From A to B Employee Wellness and Our Environment. What can people expect? That afternoon is going to be a really engaging time for people that work in an environment where they might actually stand out as being the only person that thinks about environmental issues, or you might be a member of an environmental committee at your workplace and you're not quite sure how to get things started. Wherever you are in your environmental workplace progress, this event is totally for you. If you want to be a champion of sustainable themes and ideas at your workplace, we invite you to come down. There'll be a series of workshops and we have a really exciting keynote speaker, Dr. Ian Frank from BC, who's making the link between workplace and environment health. That's really exciting for Manitoba. Cool. And for those who are interested, where can people go to buy tickets? Everything you need for green living in Manitoba is at greenactioncenter.ca. Awesome. Green Action Center has great programs that help to educate and strengthen our community. Thank you again, Elizabeth, for coming down and speaking with us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, But before I let you go, is there anything you would like to share with us? It's an exciting time for Manitobans to have choice in their sustainable commutes. And I, as a Winnipegger born and bred, I know that our transit system sometimes does not service us in the way that it could. And it's so exciting when we have 
options. And I think Go Manitoba and um, sustainable commuting gives us options that empower us and enable us to make more sustainable choices. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Thanks. Thanks, Sunny, and thank you for listening to RC360. It's Nolan and Robert here with you today. You know, Robert, we've been covering Fast Pitch, the Winnipeg Foundation's Fast Pitch, for nearly three years now, and the third annual finale showcase is coming up soon. That's right. Uh, The finals were just announced, and it'll be taking place March 14th at 7 p.m. at the Metropolitan Entertainment Center, a.k.a. The Met. It's a great event. It's a lot of fun. We love covering it because it's such a fun event. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, you get to learn about 10 incredible organizations that are doing fantastic work here in Winnipeg. It's fast-paced. It's uh, a competition, a friendly competition, um, but it's so much fun to, uh, to go out there and watch and see them tell these amazing stories in such a short amount of time. Yeah, so Fast Pitch, for those who are unaware of the exact what, what's going to be happening, is it's basically Dragon's Den for the philanthropic sector. There's going to be 10 agencies or charities that give a three-minute pitch in the hopes of winning the $10,000 first prize for their organization. Second place wins five grand, third is 2500 and then there's an audience choices vote, uh, which you'll be doing on your smartphone for 2500 bucks as well. Yeah, it's an absolutely wonderful night, and uh, tickets are on sale actually as of today by going to fastpitchwinnipeg.org. And this was an event that has sold out for the past two years. So, if you're thinking about, if this sounds like something that you'd like to uh, to go and check out, don't hesitate. Go online to fastpitchwinnipeg.org and order your tickets today. We've got time for one last song before we say goodbye today, so here is Frank Sinatra with All the Way Home, right here on River City 360. Bluebirds, flowers, sunshine and showers, sunsets and rainbows on skies of red and blue. Badgers, whistles, rockets and missiles, puppies, kittens, and penny candy too. You may Carnivals and carousels, popsicles and wishing wells, and I am so in love with you, I can't believe it's... That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us as well. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can visit us online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the program. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or if you want to get on Twitter or Facebook and get at us, you can by searching at River City 360 on Twitter. 
and River City 360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. With you is where I'll stay all the time, anywhere. Turn around and I'll be there It was I, now it's we And I know